I was restrained. They sedated me and they got me in the ambulance and took me to the hospital. 32 charges, four of which were felony. Those were all assault on a Leo. Like the person I turn into when I am drinking, like I'm a different person and I'm not a good person to be around. Green lights and blue skies are on their way. Yeah, they're on their way. Welcome to the Crosstalk Podcast, the number one recovery podcast. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Here with me today, I have Reagan. She has an incredible story, helps a tremendous amount of people in our community, works in the recovery community as well for recovery houses. So, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Happy so, to be here. Yay. Okay, good. Let's get started. Tell me tell me a little bit about your childhood, about your life, kind of where it all began. Yeah. Um, so I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania. I am the middle child of five. So smack dab in the middle, two older sisters, one younger sister, one younger brother. Um, and I grew up in a, you know, upper middle class family where thankfully everything I needed was provided and most of the things I wanted were provided Um, and to be honest I had a very easy life like there wasn't anything that stands out as like looking back at you know significant like trauma or anything like that that I I hear sometimes it was really everything I could have asked for as a kid growing up Um, great school that I got to go to was very involved in sports was very you know family oriented at the time um and have really no complaints looking back on it I'm sure at the time you know you always have something but looking back on it I was very blessed to be brought up the way that I was so yeah it was good and so when did things start to change for you or like what led up to your first drink so the one thing about my family and it affects a lot of my extended family as well primarily, is that we all have some sort of addiction or alcoholism. Um, I have multiple cousins, multiple, um, you know, aunts or uncles that have had at some point or continuously have had addiction issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So that being said, we always had a very interesting relationship with alcohol in my family. Um, And it was always something that I was obsessed with as a kid. Um, So the first time I ended up using a drink myself, I was still a kid. I was 12, and it was one of the little airplane bottles um, that my parents had, and me and two of my friends, we snuck some of those, put them in half-empty soda cans, and drank them, and yeah, that was that. It It was a fun experience for me. It was a happy experience. We really, really enjoyed it. And that was my, my first time ever having anything. And from there, I just kind of kept going to, okay, can't wait to do this again. Right. How did it make you feel? You know, how I would describe it is like giddy, bubbly, like fun. Everything was like light and fluffy and you get that warm, tingly sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, those were all like the physical sensations I was having. But, you know, the emotional sensation that I had was just like, relief and light and you know felt like all these burdens that that might have been plaguing me at the time were like were no longer there wow that's so interesting and like how so tell me a little bit about how it progressed what did what did the darkness look like 
Yeah, for me, the progression was kind of slow. Um, what ended up happening was, you know, I made it through high school relatively unscathed for the next like four to five years after my first drink. It was, you know, the weekend partying. Um, there were definitely times where I was like super out of control drunk, but there was also times where I could step back and just have like little sips here and there and enjoy myself. Um, and, you know, I got very depressed, I think my sophomore year of high school. Um, and that's kind of where things started to shift a little bit. I was more into drinking as much as I could to just relax and get out of my own head and my own space right. um, and enjoy myself because I felt like that's what I needed to do. Um, and I continued to do that and progressively got worse and worse and worse. Right. And, you know, after I completed high school and went to college, that's where really things took like such a bad turn for me. Um, you know, not having that accountability of, my family is there. I have to go home to live with them, so they're going to see what I'm doing and what I look like. I didn't have sports anymore to kind of keep me grounded and focused, and um, my after-school activities were no longer there. It was just me on a campus with 40,000 other people who were kind of doing the same thing, but in a different way. Right. So it felt almost like normal. It definitely felt normal. I mean, the the kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, culture of college and drinking is very much how I was drinking at that time. So I felt like I fit right in. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like everything that I was doing was par for the course. You know, waking up at 8 a.m. to drink on a football Saturday was par for the course for everybody and every one of my friends. Um, but for me, I just took it to another level, you right. know going out every single night, um, drinking excessively, and then eventually in college I started adding more substances as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of all snowballed into an effect of epic proportions where it was no longer fun to go out and drink and party. It was getting in the way if I went out to drink and party because all I really wanted to do was wait until whatever appropriate time I thought it was to put the next substance in my body so I can get out of my own head. And that's all I was looking forward to every single day. Every yeah. time I woke up, all I wanted was that next time I was able to drink or use whatever it was. I, I definitely was similar to that. I had like almost a schedule of like going up and down and just I had to have everything on me at all times because if I needed to alter my mood or escape a situation, it was there, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit about, like, did you have any consequences? It sounds like, you know. Oh, yes. Um, I, I, I particularly know <laughs> these consequences, and they're, they're, they're interesting. They're pretty funny. Um, so my first consequence was I had to drop out of school. Um, it had gotten to a point for me in spring of 2017 where I was no longer leaving my apartment, right? I was sat there all day on a couch in my apartment um, drinking and using and classes were a no-go for me. Um, I probably had like a zero GPA at that point, at least for that semester, because mm -hmm. I just wasn't showing up. Like I couldn't bring myself to stop using for even the hour and a half to two hours it would take to go to class and come back. I couldn't be that sober for that long. It was so uncomfortable. Um, so my first consequence was 
dropping out of school. Um, I called my parents and told them that I was, you know, having some issues, was really depressed, and they decided a medical leave was best for me, which I absolutely agreed with. Um, I didn't tell them that I was having an issue with, you know, drinking and, and using drugs. Um, they kind of caught on to that very quickly. Right. But uh, at the time, I thought I was, you know, kind of being a little slick with it, right? Right. So, um, I come home from school, um, I'm back living with my parents full time and they kind of give me a list of things that they want me to accomplish while I'm home. Um, because dropping out of school is a big deal. It's not something that we just kind of like ignore for the time being. Um, they wanted me to do therapy. They wanted me to get a job and, you know, try to be doing something productive with my time while I was home. Mm-hmm. Um, and very quickly, they caught on to the fact that I was not really interested in that. Um, they caught me about two weeks in, um, you know, staying up late after they all went to bed and drinking. I ended up setting the alarm off to the bar in my house because I, like, they tried to... put an alarm on the bar? There was, there was an alarm door on the bar because it was an outside um, access. Oh, okay. So it was kind of like a sunroom converted into a bar. So it wasn't because of you? It wasn't because of me at the time, no. Okay. But uh, <laughs> I think they were definitely ended up being grateful that there was an alarm on the bar. Right. Um, you know, they, they, I set the alarm off and they came down. It was probably after midnight on a random, no, I actually know what day it was. It was a Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I'm there just, you know, casually with my uh, vodka tonic that I made myself. Um, at 20, sitting in my parents' house, drinking their liquor, thinking like, this is, you know, I was like, this is so totally normal and totally fine, right? Like, I'm a college student. This is what I do. This is a normal Thursday for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they very quickly caught on to the fact that something was not right, you know? Like I, I had mentioned earlier, um, addiction is very prevalent in my family, but it wasn't something that was talked about in my family. It was definitely something that was... Um, you know, went unacknowledged, right. even protected. if they're protected, you know, um, uncomfortable for people to talk about, um, uh, because they didn't think that there was, you know, that open-mindedness for everybody. Right. I mean, now I think things have started to change, but traditionally there's such a huge stigma. Absolutely. About addiction and alcoholism and just any substance use disorder or isms, right? Like sex addiction, gambling, like any of those things. But I'm I'm hoping with this, you know, podcast and just generally, there's a lot of now information out there and resources that people can get help. So, you know, it's it's like back then they didn't want to talk about it. Absolutely, nobody wanted to talk about it. I remember. I actually had an uncle who passed away, um, who suffered for a very long time. Mm. Um, and I think I was 15 or 16 when that happened and he passed away because of his drinking, but nobody would let, you know, anybody know what the cause of death was. Mm. It was all very like a protected thing. Even if we would ask like, what happened? Like, how did he pass away? Um, and, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but stuff like that should be important to share. Yeah. Especially when it, you know, this affliction happens to more than one person in your, your family. It's, it's important to talk about. And, you know, I'm happy to say today that it's definitely changed in my family. But um, the catalyst was kind of me, which is something that I'm, you know, proud of today. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, again, the consequences and what happened with me 
wasn't something you could sweep under the rug. Right. I made a big splash in a big way. Yeah. Um, which So you're setting off the alarm in the house. Setting off the alarm in the house. Um, mom and dad see me drinking. I try to play it off as casual, and it does not go over well. Um, I didn't think it would, but it didn't go over well. So after that, uh, mom and dad set up, you know, random drug tests for me to be taking. I don't think I passed a single one. Mm. So that wasn't really doing much for me. Um, but, you know, consequences of that were I'm no longer left alone in the house. So I'm 20 years old. I'm basically being babysat. Mm. If my parents were going out of town, I had to stay at my sister's. Like a real thing. Yeah. I had to stay at my sister's house so somebody could watch me. Um, wow. And it was all very infuriating and frustrating for me, but I can't imagine, like, looking back how it was for them. Right. Right? Of course. I because mean. I am I'm just a miserable person to be around at this point, like, screaming, yelling, fighting. Like, I needed that. I told them, I need to be drinking. Yeah. It helps me. Right. And it's just such a miserable mindset and an upsetting mindset because that's how I felt. I felt like I needed that to function. I, I needed that to not let these like thoughts just like completely take over my head of how like bleak and miserable my life had become at that point. Right. And you've always been like a super high achiever. I, actually, I find in 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 sobriety, in recovery, um, I've met so many people who you know, have really excelled or are very smart. Like we intellectually know better, but, you know, it takes over. And then for me, there's like this invisible line. And the minute you cross that invisible line, there's no going back. You know, it's kind of like you start to need it more than just want to escape. Yeah. You start to just need that, that fix. Yeah. I mean, I, I can remember, it was a very long summer that I was home, right? Um, I can remember just these times where I'd be like, okay, like, I, I have to get something done. Like, I have to get something done. Um, my uncle ended up passing away that summer, and the funeral, um, the day before the funeral, I was like, I have to get this, like, little speech done that they wanted me to read, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was supposed to say a prayer and do, like, a little... Um, a little like two minute speech before or after and I didn't write anything I stayed up all night drinking myself to sleep and thank god that um my boyfriend at the time came and woke me up the next morning he came to pick me up fully dressed everybody left they left me there I was still passed out wow you know um and that's something that like brings me like a lot of like shame sometimes to think back on because um I almost missed his funeral yeah. Because it was more important to me to be drinking. You know, I physically couldn't stop myself. Um, and it's just like a really, I think I think that was one of the first times I to myself recognized, like, this is, this is something that's seriously not okay. And, yeah. and um, it so was dark. so dark, like such, such a dark time in my life um, where I really didn't want to be that person or to be doing that. And I realized that like, I couldn't get myself to stop either. Mm -hmm. And that's like, when you have that realization, that's a very scary place to be. I mean, I, I can relate so much to this, of course. And, and that's what this 
all of this is about, right? Relating right. to one another and hopefully we can, um, you know, help someone else who's watching who, who maybe has had those little glimpses of a realization and now they don't know what to do, right? Right. So, so tell me what, what's, what were, what were the transpiring events? So after this, um, it was kind of, you know, I was stuck where I was, um, didn't have, didn't have a way to get out, um, didn't have anything going for me at that time. I had a seasonal job, not going back to school in the fall. Um, and you know, that's kind of where I was. Mm -hmm. I ended up trying to get like a regular full-time job, um, once school started cause I knew people would be leaving. I got hired at an Amazon warehouse. Um, I went for a day. I went for orientation, I think, mm. and then never went back. Um, but I kept getting up like in the, it was a 4am to like 2pm shift. And I kept oh waking God. up and leaving the house. Like I was going to this job because that seemed easier to me than actually getting a job. Um, and Isn't that funny how like we go through so all crazy. these hoops to put on this facade yeah. and actually just like, look how well I'm doing. I have this job that I'm very determined to get to super right. early in the morning. The reality is I'm sitting in my car drinking or waiting for someone to say, come over to my house and drinking or doing whatever they had at the time. Like yeah. that's what I was doing with my life. Right. Um, so that kind of transitioned into, um, you know, me drinking in the car or drinking like right after driving, something like that. Um, and it was about two weeks before I decided that, you know, I was going to really just relax and enjoy myself in a car. I was sitting there in a parking lot waiting for someone to shoot me that text. It was probably 5.30 in the morning. And I remember like just thinking like, okay, I'm just gonna, just gonna have a little bit, take the edge off. Cause you know, at that point I had been heavily drinking for seven to eight months, I'm like shaking because I right. haven't had anything yet. Right. Um, and I was just going to have like a little bit just to take the edge off was, was the thought that I had. And that's the last thought that I remember having. Um, and then I woke up about three days later in a hospital. Wow. Um, you know, it was, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it was, it was terrifying. That's a terrifying thing to wake up to, um, restrained in a hospital bed. No idea where I was really, what I had done, what happened, how long it had been. I remember when I first acknowledged that like my mom was in the room and I was able to kind of like sit up and look around, um, and she was just so upset. And the first like conversation I remember having with my parents was, do you want to go to rehab or do you want to go to jail? Because those are your choices right now. When you wake up restrained in a hospital bed and someone offers you rehab or jail, to me, there's only one solution, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's to take the rehab, right? Right. Um, and it wasn't until later, when I had finally been released from the hospital, that I learned what happened. You know, I was taken from basically straight from the hospital to an arraignment where they read out this list of 32 charges. Wow. 32 charges. Yeah. Um, four of those were felony charges, um, and I was just flabbergasted by the report that this judge was, like, reading. I thought it was some sort of joke, because I know who I am, right? And, like, the story that, that they told me was, like, not who I am. Right. So, what had happened was, I decided to obviously drive somewhere after drinking an excessive amount. 
Um, I ended up rear-ending a gentleman. And I did pull over to exchange information, but quickly got back into my car when I heard some cop sirens um, and drove away. The road that I tried to drive down was closed. Um, wasn't going very well for me. Huh? Right, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, the road that I tried to so drive you kept down. Going. Yeah, I kept going. Okay. Um, you know, across the road. You know, there's a retention pond. So I I'm like, smiling because yeah. we can right yeah, now. Yeah. Right. Right. It, but it was listen, not funny. Thank, or no, okay. Absolutely not. I am. I just want to make yeah. that clear. But in hindsight, you know, sometimes we have to laugh. Yeah. About. And in, in hindsight, I'm glad I can because yeah. at the time it, it was it was very like shameful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I drove over, you know, through the closed road, through a retention pond. Right. Car didn't quite make it up over the other side of the retention pond. Shocker. Um, and the cops finally caught up to me and said, OK, like, you know, we're kind of done running. So let's get out of the car. And my brilliant solution at the time was to tell the cop that, no, oh, it's OK. It's all good. I'm actually a cop. I'm undercover from Miami. Um, I'm going to, like, take care of all this. Don't you worry. Um, which is, like, <laughs> where I got that, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I think that we just, like, reach for these so yeah lifelines yeah. that are so ridiculous to anyone who's I, not clouded. Yes. I have the thought a lot of what this cop must have thought because... I'm 20 years old, clearly not a cop, like clearly <laughs> drunk off my butt and just, just caused some real havoc on the road, um, for these poor construction workers that were trying to work on this closed road. Right. And like, that's what he hears. Um, yeah, I, w I wonder what he thought, but, um, so he didn't buy it, didn't buy it. No. Um, and of course my next natural reaction, because you know, I have, a lot of alcohol in my system. There are definitely other drugs in my system. My next reaction was to start trying to swing my way out of it. And that's when I um, was restrained and they sedated me and they got me in the ambulance yeah. and took me to the hospital. Um, I mean, that's serious. That's serious, yeah. So, like I said, 32 charges, four of which were felony. And wow. those were all assault on a Leo um, because that's how many people it took. Wow. Took four officers and, or I'm sorry, three officers, I believe, and one um, EMT to like finally like get you down, get me down. And wow. I'm not like a, not like a right. big girl, like five three, like on a good day. Yeah. So the fact that that's how out of my mind I was, and that's not in your nature at no. all. Knowing you now for six no. years you're not a violent person you're calm you're very I try to be I mean yeah, yeah. I we have our moments but you know yeah it's you know um it was something to me that like I said I, I'm sitting there in that courtroom listening to this and I think it's a joke right like the judges reading the transcripts of things I said to these officers because it's all on tape and just what I was saying to them, the language I was using. Like, I never thought myself like a disrespectful person before. Um, but again, like the person I turn into when I am mm -hmm. drinking and, and using substances is, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like, I'm a different person and I'm not a good person to be around. Right. So um, that was kind of the end of that. So I, I sat there, I listened to that, and immediately from the arraignment, my parents were driving me to... Um, a 28-day treatment center, and I remember, like, that was the first time I felt relief. Like, that was the first real, like, okay, 
maybe I don't have to live my life this way anymore. I don't have to be this miserable person. And like, we'll, we'll give it a try. We'll see. So was that the moment that the flip switched? Uh, close to it. Yeah. Okay. Definitely close to it for me. Um, because why I had this idea of, you know, treatment was going to like heal me. Um, I didn't quite have the idea of, I was never going to do this again. Right. Mm-hmm. I was, I was under the, I didn't know anything well, about were recovery. You? You were 20. 20. I didn't know anything about recovery. I was like, okay, so I'll take a year off and maybe like only drink beer or something after that. Like that was my idea of recovery. It was like a tolerance break, mm-hmm. like an extended tolerance break. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, that was all I knew. <laughs> so that's, that's exactly what I did. That was all I knew. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So I go to this 28-day treatment, and they have, you know, they kind of explain what addiction is in detail. So I have more information under my belt um, while I'm there. Uh, And I learn a lot about how the disease of addiction works, how it changes, you know, your your mood, your thinking, your perceptions, your attitude, Mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, I could become that person. But what I also learned is, like, I have these other things inside me that I was trying to heal with this drugs and alcohol that are still going to be there that, like, Mm. I need to work on and fix. Yeah. Right? Like, I learned how I'm dependent upon a substance Mm -hmm. and, like, I need to to break that addiction. But I also learned how, like, I have, like, internal things that I needed to fix. Um, And that was the first time, like, it kind of made sense to me. I was like, okay. Like, I can get behind this. This yeah. is, like, something that, that, like, I knew I was, I was, why I was using it first, right? Right. That was it. Like. So tell me what that recovery process, like, the initial recovery process looked like. Yeah, the initial recovery process for me was, was a lot of therapy. Um, and then eventually it became a lot of self-reflection. Um, but I didn't really start my real, like, recovery process until I ended up coming down to Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, which is where they sent me immediately after um, the 28 days in the treatment center I was at up north. Um, I came down to Florida, and at the time, I thought it was the worst thing in the world that I could have possibly have had happen to me. Right. Um, because, you know, I'm very far from home. I had my birthday that was coming up. I was about to be 21. Right. I had a boyfriend that I was very committed to. I had my family, I had, you know, the holidays, and I was like, I can't be in Florida for that. Um, but it ended up being the very best thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, my first, like, real instance of recovery happened after a therapy group. Um, I had a therapist who knew when to push, let's say. Mm. Um, and I had been there for a couple of weeks and wasn't really, you know, doing my best or doing what I could have at least. And he came into that group that night and had warned me that I would be doing some work. And he came in and passed out these pictures to everybody except me. So I'm sitting there in a group, you know, full of like 15 people. Um, and the entire room is silent looking at these photos. And I'm sitting there, you know, thinking like, oh no, like, what did I do? Like immediately. Right. Um, and then after a while he asked everybody to pass these pictures to me and I knew what they were going to be, but I, I started to see these photos of me specifically in the hospital that, you know, one of my family members had taken me hooked up to all these machines, 
um, ventilator, wires, like still restrained to the hospital bed, Um, little sister holding my hand while I'm restrained to the hospital bed, priest coming in to bless me. I, I saw those pictures and like, that was a real big moment for me in my recovery. I I like to refer to it as my first, um, like conscious God moment. Mm -hmm. Um, after that moment, I knew that I needed to do whatever I could to not be that person anymore because that wasn't me at my core. Like I know who I am and the person in those photos, like causing that agony to her family, like is not the person that I am. And that's what really started like me on this journey of recovery. It was that decision to do this, not only for myself, but my family. Right. Um, and to be the person that I knew I could be. Um, and the best thing that could have ever happened to me was that therapist handing me those photos and, and my family member taking those photos because I needed to see that. Um, and after that, I, I decided I was going to do what I needed to do in order to, you know, move forward with my life. Mm-hmm. And what was suggested to me was 12-step recovery. Um, so that's what I started to do. Yeah. A little slower than others, but, you know, that's what I started to get into. I, um, you know, started going to meetings. Um, I had been to a few meetings before, like a few up north and like one prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming to meetings down here was a different experience to me. And um, so many people say that, that our community here uh, in Delray Beach really is really has great meetings and we're very lucky and I think that's why people send that's why families send people to Florida yeah absolutely (laughs) we're like the recovery capital it is one of you know yeah it's it's I guess you could say one of but it definitely is like the recovery capital because one of the original yes one of the original um it's hard to describe for people who haven't been to a meeting down here Mm -hmm. but the amount of real recovery. And I'm not talking like years, right? I'm talking about like the the feeling of being around people who want your best interest, who are also trying to change, you know, their lives for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, the open discussions, the age range, that was huge for me. Right. Right? Because the meetings I had been to before, not to try and offend anybody, but I'm 20 years old. It's like 50s, 60s, 70s, like it's hard older. To relate. Yeah, it's harder to relate, yeah. right? Um, you know, great people, nice people, but like, I wasn't one of those people. I'm 20. What am I doing there? Right. Of course. Down here, I'm 20. I look over that person's 19. Look the other way. That person's 23. Like there are a ton of young people down here, mm-hmm. um, which was really like a comfort to me. Right. And there are other people that I had met that had also gotten sober, um, and started their, you know, recovery at a young age. And now they had real time, Yeah. you know? Real time was to me at that point was like five, six, seven years. Like that was real time. And great? since, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> I know people who are like, yeah, I got, you know, 39 years. And I'm like, wow. crazy. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, that's a, like a lifetime. Yeah. That's older than I am. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it coming to meetings down here really kind of was the first thing that snagged my interest in 12 step because mm-hmm. everybody was happy to see me there. Yeah. Right. There's like a genuine sense of fellowship and I think that we've been to the same types of meetings down here and 
you know, the camaraderie and the genuine, like, people getting people jobs. Yeah. You know, just, like, genuinely helping people is so cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to stay in Florida. Absolutely. I agree. It's, it's, it's the sense of community that you build down here um, is, is the same reason I stayed, right? Like, mm-hmm. the people that I ended up meeting, um, the life that I was able to build you know, for myself, mm-hmm. like as a, I mean, at that point, sure, I'm 21, but like none the wiser, right? right. Like fresh out, fresh out of treatment. Um, a little wiser. A little wiser, but like fresh out of treatment, still, still trying to like figure life out. Mm-hmm. And um, I just had this amazing community of people that I knew that like, if I ever asked for help would be there. Right. And that's something that I had never had before. Um, and it wasn't available to me before, to be honest. That's, and that's and that's what's so amazing about this, yeah. right? Um, so, I forgot the question I'm asking. Hold on. Um, so, you know, tell me a little bit about just what does it look like now? Um, my recovery now is, is still an everyday thing, right? Mm-hmm. I still need to know rely on a higher power for me personally um I call God um I still love doing service Mm -hmm. service is something that like I know will keep me in this for life yeah right um you know whether it's taking others to to meetings or just talking to the newcomer um I mean I consider this like yeah you're I'm not paying you to be here (laughs) you're here telling your story and, and again like the hope is that someone who might have a little taste of recovery and is not sure to move forward or is like, I'm almost going to be 21. I can legally drink. Like, how could I not have that drink? Right. We'll hear your story and hopefully say, you know what? Like, actually, I want to build a life like she did. Right. Because yeah. you're successful now. You're, you're doing great. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Um, very, very much a different life for myself. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a saying in the rooms, you know, life beyond your wildest dreams. When I grew up, like thinking, thinking through my life, like it always stopped around like 20, right? Mm -hmm. Like I I didn't have like real goals for myself then. Honestly, there's some points where I assumed I would just die tragically young, right? Like that was my mindset growing up. Like, you know, I didn't have to plan for it. So beyond my wildest dreams is is pretty much on, on par for what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, built a beautiful life for myself, met beautiful people, um, and really doing something that I enjoy that I feel like is a benefit for not only, like, my community, but, like, it could be for people all around the world. It, it doesn't necessarily have to stay in my community. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, the, the service is what keeps me in this. Um, and there's, there's a difference between work and service for me. I run recovery homes in South Florida, Mm. um, and it is work, but there's also the aspect of service when you take the time to talk to those people Mm -hmm. about what they're doing for their recovery, right? Yeah. When you, when you give them, you know, suggestions or advice when they're talking to you and you're really just trying to work through a problem like that to me is how I would spend my day all day, every day if I could. Well, I mean, I think I know a lot of people who have lived in your recovery homes. Some of them have moved on. Some of them are still there. Right. And I mean, your name has become synonymous with someone who 
really shows up for people and it's not about the job because like really you don't have to do you don't have to go to that extent right. you don't have to share personal experience and you don't have to you can say just go to a meeting meet some other people a lot of people don't want to share you know in a work environment whether or not they are in in a program or in recovery so the fact that you do is is incredible and you're helping so many women i mean i i know personally so many women that you've helped yeah, who speak you. so highly of you. Thank you. It's It definitely is something that's like really nice to hear because I, I do pour a lot of myself into trying to make genuine connections so people can see that it's possible down here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a part of me that selfishly still does it for myself, right? Of course. Because um, that's kind of the way, the way it is. But... Um, it's part it's, of how it it's works. It's part of how it works. But, you know, there is an aspect of me like going above and beyond like you know I have clients that you know start to get involved in you know running a meeting for an alumni like group for their treatment center or just chairing regularly at a meeting and they're asking me to speak and I'm like oh my gosh like it's happening yeah you know it's so exciting when people get involved that like I don't want the first words they hear from me to be no because I want to help support people as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't always work out, which is, like, the harsh reality of this. Um, the statistics but, are not good. Yeah, the statistics are not in our favor. But it's possible because mm-hmm. I've seen it. I have mm-hmm. seen people who, you know, come in who I think, like, you know, in the back of my head I have that thought of, like, it's, you know, not a great road for them is, is how it's starting out. And, you know... They turn it around right, to my shift. to my surprise and uh, like immense immense like you know just happiness. Yeah, they shift themselves. They hit that Isn't switch. Isn't it so cool watching that? Sh- That's one of my most favorite things. Yeah, helping people is you know I always say and don't get me wrong I'm in a twelve step fellowship and chairing a meeting and all of that is service. But to me, service lights up for me when I see someone transform yeah, and I see this like darkness in them and not so much, uh, a, you know, not, not much hope or they're still doing things that are undermining their own recovery. Right. But it's part of their journey. And then when it starts to flip and the transformation and the light coming into their eyes and it's just, so beautiful yeah there's there's something so special and so magical about seeing that um it really it really is one of the reasons like i stay where where i am in that in that job um and at like large in in the program right Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's there's something so almost addictive in itself of seeing that happen it is and people actually who, who don't know 12-step fellowships sometimes say they are a cult. And they're not really a cult if you go and learn because there's no one leader and there's, sure. there's not all the aspects of a cult. But what there is is, you know, um, adopting a system of beliefs and mostly principles, right? Like the honesty, integrity, being compassionate to others. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like a list of, of principles that we try to live by in recovery and in our in our daily lives. In our daily lives, yeah. absolutely. Has to be in our daily lives. And we try, I, I mean, everyone has a bad day, but we try always to emulate it and, and be a good person. Sure. 
right? Yeah. I mean, I, I got sober uh, through the 12-step program. That's just me. That's mm-hmm. just one story, right? Yeah. But for me, it works because of those reasons. Yeah. For me, it is, you know, practicing it in my daily life. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I don't do it perfectly, nor does anybody else. But it's just something that aligns with who I feel I am as a person, like my morals. Like yeah. those 12 principles that you just mentioned, that's something that I truly believe in and truly can get behind. And someone just happened to write it down in a book or on a piece of paper, yeah. and it was presented to me, and that's what I chose. And that's that's the only, you know, the only reason that I'm here. Same, yeah, same for so. same. You know, I, I love my 12-step program. And even though I do believe that there are people who recover without one, I think that having that community is like, makes it even better, you know? And if you give it a chance, there might be that spark of like, I actually like this. Absolutely. That's what happened to me. Yeah. My first meeting, I was like, why are we holding hands? And like, (laughs) everyone's saying this. Why is everyone so happy all the time? Yeah. I was like, what is happening here? But... There was almost this addictive... I mean, the first meeting I went to was more than 100 people. It was wow. that, that 7 a.m. morning meeting yeah. that they talk about here in Delray. And, you know, the feeling, the energy in the room was electric. And there was something about that that I was like... I just heard someone say how down in the dumps they were. If they can do it, I can do it. You know? And hearing your story, like, if you can do it at 20... yeah. Anyone can do it. Yeah. I mean, getting sober at a young age is very, very hard. Mm. Um, obviously, that's my only experience. Right. But talking with others who, who have either tried or have also done it, like, you're 20 years old. A lot of people are still growing up at that point, right? I know people who, who younger than me have gotten sober and have more time than me. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult thing to decide to commit to. For the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when there are other people who, you know, it feels like doom feels, and gloom. It feels like doom and gloom. Yeah, it's like, how am I supposed to make this all important decision for myself right now at this time? Like, I don't even have like a college degree. Like, I barely am out of high school. You know, um, all these things that I thought like I had set up for myself are all of a sudden gone due to my addiction. But now you're saying like I have to make this life-altering choice now was well, like crazy it's it's you know the big fear of missing out the FOMO right as well because you know what are other 20 year olds doing they're not in rehab I can tell you that um not all of them at least you know that's so true and I used to have such FOMO and then someone I don't remember who it was long time ago like like seven years ago said to me now that I'm in recovery I have JOMO like the joy of missing out yes and I love that so much more you know like JOMO (laughs) but you know I I do a lot of I keep my schedule full and everything like sometimes I want to come home and get in PJs and watch a Netflix special and order in or do whatever and I don't have to feel bad about that. Absolutely not. You know, and it's no longer due to depression. It's because, like, that's a self-care night for me. Right. You know? Right. That's what you need. If I'm doing that all the time, then maybe that's concerning. But, again, like, I wake up early every day, and I used to love sleeping in. And now, it's like my body doesn't want to. 
I have that same thing. It's like, I feel like I'm wasting my day if yeah. I'm sleeping in yeah. as well. Like, it's not only that I physically almost cannot. It's like, I'm wasting so much time where right. I could be doing something. And I connect it with sick, being sick, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, there is that day where I'm like, I need to sleep in today. You know, and don't get sure. me wrong. I, I have days where I, I sleep in. But, you know, it's like, it's because I need it. And not because I want it. And I want that day to fly by. Right. Where I'm not present. Right. Which is uh, which is the shift, right? It's that difference of today is that I want to be present. I want to kind of, that, that, you know, beyond your wildest dreams, like my dreams were totally different from the life I'm living. You know, the feeling, this happiness that I have today, and every day is not the same, but this like, I can get through anything kind of kind of right. underlying thought, right? Right. Like I personally have never had as much fun in my life as I have had while being sober. The things I've been able to do because of it has been incredible and definitely nothing I ever would have imagined for myself. Yeah. Right? Like uh, I just got back recently from a trip to Europe. Like Europe yeah. That was like my dream. I was like, I can't wait to get to Europe, right? But I'm thinking like in my 40s or 50s or after retirement, it's like I got to go this year to Europe. It was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It was so much fun. And just like on a weekly basis doing things with my friends, whether that's mini golf or the movies or just going out to eat. It's like whatever I'm doing, I'm always having fun. Yeah. I'm always enjoying my time with them. Um, and I'm able to do that. And I'm also able to get through, like, the difficult things that come along with life because, you know, just because I started, you know, having a life of recovery and got sober does not mean life got the memo that everything's supposed to be rainbows and butterflies anymore, right? Well, life shows up, right? shows up, and it has always shown up, and it will continue to show up, but I'm able to show up for myself now and, like, manage and get through it and rely on the people around me to be my rocks and my supports and just help in any way they can and I know I have that and I know I can do it that's amazing and I know I don't have to drink or use drugs over it and that is the beauty of this like that is at the bottom line like that is what it all comes down to for me like I can do anything I can continue to work on myself I can get through anything and everything good times or bad and not miss a drink right right I don't miss it I feel the same way like I thought I'd miss it so much I thought so did I again 20 years old. What am I going to do at my wedding? I'm not going to be able to drink champagne at my wedding. The fact that I don't think about it anymore is incredible. Like a way to self-soothe now to me, like a drink doesn't even cross, cross the mind. No. You know, like a million other things. Like maybe I'll get my nails done. Right. (laughs) Maybe I'll take a bath. Maybe I'll go to Target or something, you know. I'm a big bath girl. I love a bath. Or just like a snuggle with my puppy. I that's the best. That's all I need for me. That's yeah, the extra best. I, you know how obsessed I am yes. with my baby. No, I, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm. I love this, and I, I, I want to ask you if you could go back in time and tell your younger self before you know it all went down, and even though you had this great life, like if you could tell yourself something, what would you say? Christies. It's okay. Sneeze. I'm trying to hold it. Sneeze means there's tissues too. I think we're good. Okay. Sorry. We can cut. Okay. Sorry. I was just like, it was really coming. I was like, don't sneeze. No, it's sneeze. Okay. 
Oh, we're good. Sorry. Yeah. So tell me, what would you tell your, your younger self? Um, that's a really hard question because I don't, I feel like the one thing that just like comes to mind is, is just keep moving forward. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that, that's what I did. And that's what's gotten me here. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back doesn't really afford me any help. Right. Um, and stopping also gets me stuck. So just keep moving forward, and that's exactly how I ended up here, and there's nowhere else I would rather be than where I am right now in my life. 